Sometimes when we sing songs, they can be very convicting. Would you agree or disagree? You know, I was just thinking through our songs today and, you know, do we, do we really believe how great thou art? And uh, oftentimes I think it's, for me, it's tough because I want to look at how great I am and not how great he is. And, uh, and, uh, and that, that last song, uh, there's a part that, uh, where, he, where we sing, you know, that you, uh, I trust that you will know every part of me. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. The thing is, is are we honest with God and see ourselves in those ways that he knows every part of us, our struggles, our frailties, our, you know, pridefulness, our lack of humility. So, you know, songs can be convicting also. So thank you, Dick, for, for great songs. That's, that's true. So if you would, please open up with me to Ephesians chapter 4, as we're going to continue going through chapter, chapter 4. Um, the text we're going to look at today is actually Ephesians 4, 7 through 17, but it's such a big passage that um, with the time that we have, I'm going to break it up, and I'm only going to deal with 7 through 11 um, today. But we're going to read the whole passage. But first, the, the title is Bodybuilding. Now, everybody knows what bodybuilding is, right? I mean, we see these guys and gals that are in the, they're in the gym 24-7, and, and they're, they're, they're building a body. Oh, I totally forgot. You know, we, we have a, a personal trainer in here, so... You know, uh, you know, I just looked over there and I'm like, oh, that's true. So if I'm wrong in any of this, hopefully he'll correct me. So, <laughs> um, but when, when we go, they, they go to the gym and they, 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 they want to build muscle, right? They, they want to build their bodies up. And so they have the, uh, bodybuilders have these strict uh, regimens that they do and they work certain muscles, certain days and certain parts of their bodies. And they also have a strict diet so that their, their, their body not only remains strong but it remains healthy and it builds and it builds muscle so we have a strong body well in these these next passages this is what God's going to tell us he's going to tell us how we build the body this is our church growth this is not about numbers church growth wise this is about Paul coming in and he's going to reveal God's plan to build the body not man's plan to build the body so let us look at that, let's pray, and then we'll dig into this. Father, thank you again for our time that we can come and dig into your word. Thank you, Father, for uh, the time that we were able to worship you so far in our, in our uh, singing and in our giving, and Lord, may we be uh, a body here at Faith Bible, Lord, that worships you in our preaching. Father, pray that we would hear you, that we would hear Jesus' voice and not our own. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be lifted up in everything that is said and done, and Christ would be magnified in everything that we do. In your name, amen. So Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 17, reads this way. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow, what a passage. This is why I broke it down into two sermons, because I don't really think I could, me personally, I couldn't handle the whole text. Someone much wiser probably could. So what I want us to look at first is in this text is that the body is built up with gifts. The body is built up with gifts. Look at Ephesians 4, 7. The apostle writes this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we see grace is this unmerited favor, but grace is also this gift. This measure means it's an allotted specific portion. It's allotted specific portion. So what happens is Christ, Christ gives us a gift, right? He gives us a gift, but he also gives us the grace to use that gift is what he does. He gives us the grace to use that gift. He gives us the strength to use that, grip, that, that, that gift. Um, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So this gift that Christ gives you when he saves you, we're all given a gift. He is the one who empowers us to use that gift. Look at Ephesians 3.8, or listen to Ephesians 3.8. This is, this is what Paul says. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Well, what was the grace that was given to Paul? He answers that, right? The grace that was given him was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God empowers Paul. He gives him this grace as a preacher of his word, which is the gift. He empowers him to preach the gospel boldly to the Gentiles and the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. That was Paul's call. That was Paul's gift. And Paul saw that empowering of that by Christ. So it is the same with us. Every one of us has a gift. Every one of us has a gift. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.10 says. As each one of you has received a gift. We've all received a gift. Now, I don't know what everybody's gift is. You know, I can, I can pick out some people's gifts from, from what I know of them, and, and we can see what their gift is. But all have received a gift. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker, brothers and sisters. Paul is talking in a church context, right? He's talking to the Ephesian church, right? 
Peter, in the same way, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers who are scattered abroad, but they're in local churches. Here's what he says. As each has received a gift, what's the next two words? Use it. Guess what that means? That means you're in the game. You're not on the sideline. You're in the game. You use it. It doesn't, you you know what I love about this passage? It says, as each of you has received a gift, use it until you're too old not to. It doesn't say that. This is an older congregation. And I'm using that specifically, this congregation. You have a gift. It doesn't matter what your age is. You use it because God has given it to you. We don't do that at Christmas time, do we? I mean, we get tree gifts under the trees, right? We don't, we don't get a gift and open it up and then don't use it. You might use it in a way where you even re-gift it <laughs> to somebody else, but we use it, right? We, we get these gifts and we use it, but there's a specific function in how we use it. Look at what 1 Peter 4.10 says again. Use it to what? Serve one another. The gift is not for you. Christ has given you a gift to build his body. And that gift is to be used to serve each other. What a beautiful picture. He's given you a gift so that you will be a blessing to somebody else with your gift. What a beautiful picture. He finishes it out as this, as a good steward of God's varied grace. When you use your gift and we serve one another with these gifts, we are that steward of what God has given us and it shows his grace. It shows his grace. Every believer has a gift. Brothers and sisters, use that gift in serving each other. This is what builds the body. Romans 12, 6 through 8 puts it this way. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is not the only gifts that are in the Bible. The Bible talks about many gifts, but this is just a section that Paul uses to say that we are to, what? Faithfully use these gifts by God's grace. He's empowered you to use these gifts. So that's our first point. The body is built on gifts, and each one of us has a gift. Now, who gives the gift? Well, the Spirit, who else? Who's the gift giver? God is, right? Jesus is the gift giver. Now, what gives Jesus the right to be the gift giver? Paul goes in there and he says this, where where Jesus has the authority to give this gift, right? Look at Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. The body is built by the gift giver. Jesus is the one who gives the gift. Verse 8 says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. A lot of ascending and descending here, right? We got him coming up, coming down, coming up, coming down, even going down even farther. So let's explain what this means. So look at verse 8. Verse 8, we're going to dissect that one first. It says, 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Paul is picturing uh, Psalm 68:18 in this. This is what most scholars that I've that I read that that, that, that believe that he is picturing verse 68, uh, 18 in Psalms, and this is what it said: You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts <coughs> among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And now the picture here is of a victor, right? The picture here is someone who is in victory, and they're, they're leading their thing. They're, they're <coughs> parading their victory through the town. The essence of the psalm is that the military victor has the right to give gifts to those who identified with him. That's the picture of that psalm. Christ is the victor. Christ is is the king. He is the one who has redeemed people. He is the one who went to the cross and defeated sin. He is the victor. And so his very being of defeating sin is the reason he gives gifts. He gives gifts. And that those gifts are us. He is the triumphant king. Listen to Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumph, triumphing over them in him. Christ is the, is the royal gift giver. He gives gifts royally with royal generosity. Uh, in Esther 2.18, here's the picture. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. The gift that you have is a royal gift because it's from the king. And Jesus is king because he has royalty and he is defeated and he is the victor because of he's defeated this sin. I know my thoughts. Sometimes I get messed up, but I know where they're at. But he has done this. So how does Jesus defeat sin? How does he conquer? How does he do this? Well, first, Paul says that he descended. He descended from heaven. Because we have to remember, Jesus is always eternal, right? He's been eternal from the beginning. He is not made. He was the creator. So he's always been eternal. He's always been at the Father's right hand. He's always been the love of the Father. He's always been the delight of the Father. He's always been in glory. But for him to triumph and to give these gifts, he descended. His humility, Ephesians 2, or Philippians 2 talks about how he came to this earth. We see it in John 1, 1, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he descends in John 1, 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He became flesh. He descended down. He became a baby. He became vulnerable. He became just like you and I, except without sin in every aspect. Hebrews 2, 7 through 9 puts it this way. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet 
see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So we see that he was made for a little while lower than the angels. He is descended. This also goes into another part, his death. He died. He went into the grave. He was in the grave. We come, he comes from heaven, he comes from earth, he goes to the grave, and not only to the grave, but in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.19, it says that he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison, right? In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. This is what he did. He went into even the even depths of the earth, but he, didn't, he went and proclaimed to those spirits that he is the conquering king. That's who he is. He's the conquering king, so he gives grace to those. But it's just not only in his dissension, but Paul talks about his ascension, his exaltation from the grave, his bursting forth from the grave, the resurrection, the resurrection. We see our conquering king comes out of the grave. That's why he's the conquering king over sin, because he comes out of the grave. Muhammad, in the grave. Buddha, in the grave. Confucius, in the grave. Buddha, in the grave in the grave. Jesus, out of the grave. He is the conquering one. He's come out of the grave. Listen to what Ephesians says, that he worked, Ephesians 1, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The ascension. Jesus had to ascend to the heavens, right? He had to go up there. God brought him up there, Acts 1.9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. He ascended into heaven. A glorious picture of our king. He ascended into heaven. Jesus is not only ascended into heaven, but he is exalted in heaven. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. There's his dissension, right? Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is our Savior, brothers and sisters. This is the gift giver. This is the one who gives you the gift to build his body, to use it. Hebrews 7.26 puts it this way, for it, was, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. We have a glorious king, brothers and sisters, who gives us glorious gifts so that we can gloriously build the body so that the body will gloriously reflect his glory. It is all about his glory. He is, the, he is the gift giver. Now, Paul in this context gives us some specific gifts, right? He gives us some specific gifts. This is verse 11. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, two are gone, two are still here. Two are gone, two are still here. Well, it all depends on where you land in the prophets area, but I'm telling you where I land in the prophets area. Two are gone, two are still here. So, first of all, he gave prophet, or he gave apostles. He gave apostles. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, healing administrations, various kinds of tongues. I like how he kind of gives us this, this order. So God first, when Jesus, when, when Jesus ascended, he gave us what? He gave us the apostles, right? We had the 13 apostles, right? Because we had Matthias. He took over for Judas. But then we had Paul, and Paul was an apostle. Now, to be an apostle, you had to see who? Christ, in which way? Resurrected, right, to resurrect a Christ. That, that was one of the things. So we had these apostles. Now, what was, the, what was the purpose of the apostles? Well, the apostles were to lay the foundation of the church. They were to lay this foundation. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That's the church. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that they laid Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles come and they preach Jesus Christ and they preach him crucified. This lays the foundation. Paul continually in his letters, right? Paul says, I preach Christ crucified, not myself. That's what we should hear from the pulpits. We should hear Christ crucified, Christ crucified. You want to see people saved? Preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. We don't preach other stuff. We preach Christ crucified. That was the foundation that the apostles laid. So there was one. They were to lay the foundation for the church. They were also to write and proclaim the word of God. And we see that in the New Testament. We see that the apostles wrote the word of God. The Holy Spirit brought that word of God back to them, and they wrote, and they proclaimed the word of God. Ephesians 3, 5 says this, which was not made known to the sons of men, this is the church, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So they were to proclaim the word of God. They were to write the word of God. This is what the apostles were to do. And third, they were to perform signs, wonders, and miracles confirming the word of God. Confirming the word of God. This is what they were to do. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Well, what kind of works? Listen to Acts 6, 8, uh, Acts 8, 6 and 7. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw, and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many, were, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You see, these gifts that the apostles, when they, they healed the lame and they cast out demons, testified to who they've been with. They testify that they've been with Christ. How about you guys? How about us? What about our gifts? Do our gifts, when we serve one another, when we use those gifts, they should testify that we know Jesus. 
That's why we use them. It's for his people. Why we know them. This is what they did. They testified to being with Jesus. When we love each other and we care for each other and we take care of each other as we should, that shows that we've been with Jesus. Because that's what Jesus wants. Prophets. These were gifts to the church to provide edification, exhortation, and comfort. We, we still have those. Turn to Acts 11. Turn to Acts 11 really quick with me. I don't have this in here. But we have some uh, in Acts 11. We have Agabus. I love that name. I should have named Hayden Agabus. We're going to look at, uh, starting with verse 21. This is what the Word of God tells us in Acts. Verse 21. And that the hand of the Lord was with them, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to, to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all, the, over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we had prophets that, that did stuff, but they were still under the authority of the apostles. Everything had to be in in, in agreement. So we see this. But on the other hand, 1 Corinthians 4.13 says this, And on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So all of us, in a sense, we should all be gifted in this way here that we are those who come and we help build up and encourage and console each other. We should be doing these things. So we have apostles and prophets. Then we have evangelists. We have evangelists. This is the next one. Evangelists. What do evangelists do? They evangelize. They preach the word of God, right? They proclaim the word of God. Tell me an evangelist. Billy Graham. There we go. We have evangelists. Look at what 2 Timothy 4 or 5 says. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. See, we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and those are pastoral, uh, pastoral epistles, right? But they refer to us. The word of God is for us. This is being spoken to us by the Spirit, and he speaks that to all of us. As for you, faith Bible, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. We are to go and preach the gospel. We're to proclaim Christ. Christ crucified. I can't say it enough. And then he gives us, he gives shepherds and teachers, or this could be just used as one, pastor teacher, or it could be a teaching shepherd, 
Okay? Now, there's other offices that we, that, that we do see here, right? Scholars believe that with the, with, the, with, with the Greek writing that this is talking about one person. It's not talking about a shepherd and then a teacher. It's talking about a shepherd teacher, a teaching shepherd. And we see that we have these, these offices within the church. We, we have a pastor, we have an elder, and we have an overseer. Or if some of your versions might say that you have a bishop as the overseer. Those are the three that we see through Scripture. We, 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 we see these three. Now, the pastor or the shepherd, the Greek word is poemen, and it means to shepherd. It means to shepherd the flock, to lead the flock is what they are supposed to do. And then the elder, it refers to, well, you know, age. There's, there's age there. It's, a, it's an elder. It's, it's somebody with life, right? Paul charges Timothy not to be quick to lay hands on somebody, but they have an elder in their life. They have elders that have some life. They have this thing. But this is the Greek word where we get our word presbytery or presbyterian. Presbyterian. And then we have bishops. And this is where we get our, our overseer. We're to oversee the flock. And this is where you get your word episcopal from. But in the scripture, they're all used of one person, one office. And 1 Peter 5 shows us that. Look at 1 Peter 5. We got it up there? Sweet. Here's what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter's charges. Shepherd to the elders. There's our word elder, right? There's our word elder. Shepherd the flock of God. So now he's not saying for the shepherds to shepherd the flock of God. He's saying to the elders, shepherd the flocks of God. Those are the words. It's talking about one person. They're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight or overseeing. There's our other word. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples of the flock. This is what we're to do. These are the gifts. The shepherd is a gift. Brothers and sisters, Martin and Dick, are a gift. They are a gift to this body. God has gifted this body with them. They are your pastors. They are your elders. They are the ones who oversee the body. When God took Alan home, he did not leave you guys without shepherds. He left you with two. How gracious of a God do you have that he was merciful enough to leave you with two men. He didn't leave you alone. He left you with two godly men. What a blessing for Faith Bible. This is what he left. Jeremiah 3.15. This is what he left for you. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I've been here for now, what, seven months? eight months we've been here, and man, I have grown so much under these men's ministry. It is amazing how much I've grown under these men's ministry. I will gladly, any day, 
submit myself to these two elders. And you should too. And you should recognize them as this blessing, as this tremendous gift from God. These are godly men. And you also, when we see God working in each other and we see those gifts being displayed, encourage each other, thank each other. Thank you for the encouragement. I'm really glad that you're an encourager. Thank you for serving me. Thank you for doing these things. Thank you for playing music when you guys played music. Thank you. We need to acknowledge those things. What precious gifts we are. What precious gifts we are. So God has given us those gifts. So in closing, brothers and sisters, I have to ask the question, are you using the gifts that God has given you for his glory? And secondly, for the betterment of the church. Today, may all of us here who call Faith Bible Church our home be those who faithfully use our gifts to build one another up and to build the body. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your words. Thank you again that you ultimately are the gift giver. And Father, the gifts that you give us, may we use it to serve you and to serve your body and to show that we know you and that we've been with you. So Father, do this. Strengthen us. Help us to see that you've given us that grace. In your name, amen. Please, let's rise and let's sing our last song.